Hello, everybody. Danny here from the Tiro podcast and the Tiro Travel Industry Recruitment Opportunities Facebook group. Once again, thank you very much for coming along and listening to this podcast. And again, I can only say thank you to everybody that's joined the group and those that are sharing those jobs and roles within the group. It is growing each day. Uh, we're getting new members joining and we're getting more and more jobs being advertised. And successfully, we're getting people in the group actually back into the workplace, which is really great to hear. But I do have another special guest with me today and he is a very special guest if you've not seen any of his q a sessions that he does on linkedin i do suggest that you head over there but uh, this afternoon i have andrew mccaskill from the executive career jump with me and andrew's mission if i'm right in saying is to end job search misery isn't that right andrew that is a hundred percent right and it sounds like you're going a long way to contributing to that so congratulations <laughs> on this group and, and everything that you're doing danny thanks for having me no, thank you very much. So, um, like I said there earlier on, if you haven't seen Andrew's Job Search Hacks Live Q&A, it happens every Thursday, quarter past 12, over on LinkedIn. It's an hour of really informative information, not just from Andrew, but there's a whole community of people that, that join those. Um, and it's averaging sort of 250. And you have reached the 300 plus mark as well, which is great to see. So if you can head over there. But I brought Andrew along today to talk about a couple of questions that He's got some really good answers to and really sort of good concepts in the interview process. And uh, I'm going to hand you over now, Andrew, so you can talk about them. OK, so what I think uh, when it comes to interviews is that often making sure that you've got context is one of the most important things, Danny. So we have this golden question that we talk about with all of our clients at Executive Career Jump that we mention on the hacks every week as well. And that is when any of you go into an interview, once you've done some initial rapport building, within the first 90 seconds, if you can, I want you to pose this question to the interviewer. And that is, right, thanks for inviting me in. Just to give me context, if you could fast forward 12 months, what would have to happen for you to feel like this hire had been an overwhelming success? And it's really important you phrase it that way in terms of overwhelming success. So like, what would awesome look like in this job? Yeah, would be the non-interview way to describe it. And what that's going to do for everybody, you're going to get the, what I call the real job description on the table, rather than just what's been advertised or what's in the document that HR have delivered you. That's the real job description through the eyes of the interviewer. And you should ask this every single time because the answers might differ if you're meeting, meeting HR one minute, the line manager the next minute, or the MD the next minute. And the most powerful thing about this question, Danny, is once you've got that context and you've got that real job description in the view of the interviewer, you can then tailor back your answers as the interview continues and tailor them to meet that need because you know what they're trying to achieve. And the more you can refer back to that in your answers during the interview, the more congruence you're going to get and more likely, the better you're going to interview. So do you think that makes sense and, and, and resonates? Yeah, certainly. And I think obviously, like you've mentioned there already, is that to get it in early doors, you know, within the first sort of conversation piece, isn't it really? Um, and it is, it's quite, I'm going to say it's quite ballsy to do that, isn't it? Quite early on. Um, you've got to have, you've got to feel confident in yourself to be able to ask a question at the start. Ballsy maybe, but I mean, this is part of the, the blocker, right? This is part of the blocker is... People go in almost not wanting to screw up the interview rather than to win it. So, so there's a danger of playing too safe. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, you, you could easily end up with the silver medal syndrome where everybody says, yeah, you were great, but you were just pipped to the post or um, we, th we thought you came across really well, but somebody else just nicked it or whatever it might be. And typically that's because you've, you've played two, two down the middle. Like most people, if you ask them that question up front, will their first response will be, that's a great question, Danny. Um, and they'll, you know, people remember the questions you ask more than the answers you give. That's one of the, the most misunderstood things about interviewing. So, yeah, it might feel ballsy the first time you do it, but I, I, I absolutely promise you, uh, you're run likely to get a negative reaction and you're far better off leaving that interview knowing that you asked everything that you could and you didn't leave anything unsaid. That's no, quite right, quite right. No, it's easy. It's a, it's a question that I've obviously written down and um, in a couple of interviews or conversations as they seem to be now, uh, informal chats, etc. I've I've certainly used it as well, which is great. So brilliant. So the other the other the other concept that you um, you have in in when you're in interviewing there is is sometimes what what you like to call it blowing up the bomb. Yeah. Yeah, so blowing up the bomb, which all sounds very dangerous and uh, worrying, doesn't it, is um, actually quite the opposite. Um, so quite often, Danny, particularly if you're trying to transition industries, so say somebody from travel was maybe going to work in a technology company or going into a different area of travel, for example, whereby you didn't have industry experience, um, or maybe you're coming back after a long break, or maybe you're returning after maternity or whatever it might be, quite often we'll be entering into these interviews with a worry. We'll be entering into these interviews with an obvious reason why we might get rejected. And the concept around blowing up the bomb is, rather than just going through the interview and hoping that at the end of that interview, somebody gives you the job and they're not worried about that big elephant in the room, um, is that you address it. Is that you absolutely address it head on. Now, this is a bit more ballsy compared to the fast forward 12 months question. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. But a good example would be, so say um, you'd never worked in the particular industry that they were recruiting in, yeah? Yeah. I, what I would do is, if I, when I entered into that interview, after some initial rapport, would be to say, well, first of all, Danny, thanks so much for inviting me in. Um, I have to say it's really refreshing because a lot of people seem worried about the fact that I don't have industry experience. Out of interest, why wasn't my lack of industry experience a problem for you? And the powerful thing about that is that the interviewer will then typically say to you, well, you know, industry experience isn't everything, Andrew. And, uh, you know, we've got lots of industry experience. What we need are leadership skills or sales skills or customer skills or whatever it might be. So in essence, you take the biggest objection that you're worried about that the interviewer might reject you for, but you get them to manage it. You get them to overcome the objection for you. It means you're never justifying defending. It means it's almost impossible for them as well to reject you based on a lack of interview experience when within the first two minutes of the interview, they've told you why it's not a, uh, a problem, right? So it's a really powerful, powerful tool. Um, it is ballsy, but uh, yeah, if you get it right, it can really pay dividends. And I think, yeah, because it certainly leaves everything out in the open, doesn't it? There is nowhere else really to go from that. They, they can't... I suppose backtrack and say that you were unsuccessful because of X, Y, Z when they already covered it when you've asked that question. Well, they've told you why it's not a problem. And, um, you know, where this came from, just to give you a bit of context, was I had a lot of people coming to me going, oh, I interviewed for so-and-so last week, but they're not going to offer me the job because I'm too old for their culture. Most of them are 25 to 30. There's no way they're going to take me on. And I, I just said, well, why, why didn't you talk to them about that? 
what why are you just hoping that they'll overcome that objection rather than addressing it and then we got into okay well rather than addressing it and trying to persuade them which is one way to do it why don't we just get them to tell us why it's not a problem and this is where this all started right we just we just decided to get to defuse the bomb right up front and get the interviewer to solve it and if you can pull it off it's it's really really powerful brilliant excellent no i do it's it's one thing that i know you talk about it almost every week uh, during the q a sessions and it is it's such a it's such a powerful question um that could really sort of turn that that interview experience certainly in your favor it really can it, it can turn it in your favor so it works well for age it works well as i said for career gaps it works well for industry transitions anything where there's like a big issue that's you know, perhaps not an issue in terms of you doing the role, but you think might either be a, a conscious or a subconscious bias that the interviewer might have against you. And you need to get it on the table, get them to tell you why it's not a problem and, and safely detonate it rather than leaving it in their hands to detonate when it comes to feedback. time. Excellent. No, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, and then the, the last uh, sort of scenario question, I suppose, um, is what you like to call the porcupine. Yeah, the porcupine. So um, the the essence behind the porcupine, so again, another interview tip, is when someone chucks you a porcupine, what you want to do is chuck it back quite quickly, right? You don't want to hold on to a porcupine for too long. I've never thrown a porcupine. I have to uh, just put a, a disclaimer in there. Um, I don't want uh, any blowback on that. But um, yeah, theoretically, I would imagine if someone chucked you a porcupine, you'd want to get rid of it quite quickly, right? And the point about this is, is there's been a bit of a trend over the last 10 years, Danny, that I'm sure you've experienced and some of the listeners have experienced for people to throw in some curveball questions, right? Some really you know, difficult curveball questions. Um, and also in line with that, there are times in interviews where we just feel our mind go blank. And it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? That sinking feeling of someone asks you something and you just feel yourself just kind of disappearing into a hole and you can't answer it. So the porcupine works for these curveballs, these wildcard questions, or when your mind goes blank. Because what you do is when somebody puts a question to you that you don't like the feel of, you just throw it straight back. And you buy yourself some time, you allow yourself to relax, and also you gain some more context in the process. So, for example, if somebody said to you, um, what's the failure you're most proud of, right? Something like that. That's an, that's an Amazon, that's a real Amazon question. Um <laughs> Amazon used that question, which is nasty, right? What's the failure you're most proud of? So, you know, anybody in interview would be trying to process that going, right, okay, failure is a bad thing. Being proud is a good thing. How do I come up with a failure that's also going to make me proud? Like, you can see how that just crushes people. And I don't, I don't like that because that person might be able to do the job very well, but they might just get stuck on this question, right? So to porcupine that back, so rather than trying to answer it or um, to end up flummoxed, would be to throw it straight back and say, what a great question. When you talk about failure, do you want something that's more work-based or more personal-based? Can you give me some more context? And so you just pass it straight back. And whilst they're giving you more context and saying, oh, no, well, ideally we were looking for a business-based scenario or whatever, you've bought yourself a bit of breathing time to compose yourself, to think it through, and then to nail your answer, rather than stuttering, stumbling, or digging yourself a hole, which is really, really easily done. And for anyone that's previously done that, don't worry, there's nothing wrong with you because everyone does it all the time. So <laughs> that's that's how we can start to deal with it. Just buy ourselves some time. Clarify further before we proceed and you'll be in good shape. No, yeah, definitely. I think you're right there. It just gives you that that breathing space, that little bit of, it's, it's almost like the taking the sip of water or 
like the politicians do, where they repeat the question um, before they answer. It just gives you that sort of breathing space, doesn't it, to, to clarify what avenue and what direction you're going to give them your response. And sometimes I'm assuming that with the porcupine as well, if you throw it back, like you said, it's going to give you more context, which is going to allow you to understand the question in more detail. Yeah, well, and um, it, it does allow you to understand it in more detail. And quite often, some of the questions they ask are quite broad, you know. So there's always a hidden meaning behind the question. And it's not a bad idea to get that meaning before you answer. So, you know, a classic that gets asked in a lot of mid to senior management roles is... Um, Oh, can you talk to us about your approach to stakeholder management? Or can you tell us when you've dealt with a di- difficult stakeholder, right? That's just so broad, isn't it? Like, yeah. but, but there's always something specific behind it. So it might well be that they've got a problem with their Germany branch at the moment and Germany won't engage with them. Or it might well be that they're thinking about that difficult FD that nobody's ever managed to win over in the past or that there's too many stakeholders in this particular project. Whatever it is, as you rightly say, by porcupining that back and going, yeah, well, stakeholders is a big part of what I do what sort of example would be most relevant to you in this case? And asking for that further clarification by when they say, well, let us tell you a bit more. Basically, the FD in Germany won't talk to us. How would you go about that? Right. And then you can directly address their problem and explain how you've done something similar in the past. So, yeah, good pick up there, mate. It's it, it works in, in a number of different instances. And so you, you're literally getting to the crux of the question, aren't you, by doing it. You're not getting the, the fluff that's necessarily coming with the first first round of questions there so which is which is brilliant um and i think interviewing now is but years ago it used to be a one-way street isn't it It was very much obviously on the on the side of the employer and it was the employee kind of sitting there rabbit in the headlights scenario but now with these kind of questions it's certainly a two-way street and it's flipped around a bit more isn't it and you don't have to sit there and feel so uncomfortable and have this 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 sort of um, arsenal almost ready to, to to fire back, haven't you? Yeah, and you know the right employers absolutely respect that and are looking for it to be a two way process. So it should be approached as well. That's brilliant. Well, Andrew, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for for your insight into those questions um, and scenarios. And I think they are they're really really um, pertinent now in the current job market. The way that the interview process is a little bit more complex than what it used to be many, many years ago. So um, don't be afraid to ask these questions. Don't, you know, they will put you in good stead in the eyes of the the recruiter or the hiring manager there, I think, because you ask these kind of questions. Um, and there's lots more information like this available from Andrew's uh, company, the Executive Career Jump um, set up. You can go to their website and learn more about it. But also, as I said, just go along on a Thursday, 12.15 on LinkedIn. Just search for Andrew McCaskill and you'll find him with his Job Search Hacks Live Q&A sessions there. I'm most there most weeks listening in and every week I do actually pick up something, something different, something new that's certainly helping. And I'm tweaking whether it's my LinkedIn profile or my CV or adding new connections and into my network as a result of it. So I do do suggest that everybody jumps on there at some point. But um, Andrew, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I hope everybody's enjoyed listening. And again, remember, keep adding colleagues and friends into the Zero group, but more importantly, keep sharing those jobs and positions because they are helping everybody. Thank you, Andrew. Yep. Good luck, everyone. Thanks for having me, Danny. Thanks.